This is Fortress on a Hill. Thank you for joining us. I'm Henry. And I'm Danny. We're here to tear apart recent stories about our nation's armed forces and our veterans. We hope you'll take a critical look at what's happening with our military. And we hope you enjoy the show. Now, let's get started. So, our main topic today is whistleblowers. Government, military, and intelligence whistleblowers. And, uh, Henry, I think this was your idea for a topic, and it's, uh, it's a great one. And we've touched on it in the past ever so lightly when we've discussed Chelsea Manning. And, and, and I'm sure she will come up again today. And the reality is that the United States government has a pretty poor track record with something that's very necessary for the functioning of a government or a democracy, which is whistleblowers. Okay, And the connection between whistleblowers and journalists. Remember, it's the media that is actually supposed to hold government institutions accountable, which they can often only do through anonymous sources and whistleblowers. So we're going to breeze through a few reports that lay out some of these issues, lay out some of the scary and sort of disturbing aspects of whistleblower protection or lack thereof in the national security community. And uh, we're just going to kind of debate some of this and lay out not what you, the, th- the listener, should think, but kind of like ways to think, how to think about this. The first report that we looked at was called Protecting Whistleblowers Protects National Security. It's from the Brennan Center of Justice at the New York University School of Law. And this really focused on the FBI. And, and the argument of this paper is in the title. It says that having protections in place for whistleblowers actually makes us safer. Well, how can that be, right? You would think that leaks or whistleblowers make us less safe because they tell secrets. That's the position of a lot of federal agencies, the position of a lot of very hawkish civilians. You know, the FBI is the only federal agency that does not protect chain of command whistleblowers when they report to their supervisors. In other words, uh, this is particularly scary given the fact that the dubious practices of the FBI in Russiagate and in the Clinton probes, right, the Clinton email probes, means that maybe that agency of all agencies needs to have whistleblower protections more than others. But the, the reality is they have, they have very weak whistleblower protections. Um, if you go through your supervisors, if you go through your chain of command, as you're taught to do, there are almost no protections for you. When the Government Accountability Office looked into more than five dozen FBI whistleblower claims, they found that out that only one in three resulted in any form of corrective action, and that it took the Justice Department between eight and ten years to investigate and adjudicate just three of these cases. You know, I want to talk about Snowden just for a second. Man, talk about a controversial topic. You want to piss people off, just say the word Chelsea Manning or the word or the name Edward Snowden, right? And you're going to get people on both ends of the aisle who are incredibly just partisan on this issue and motivated about it. But this Brennan report, Brennan Center, uh, NYU report, says that the failure to provide safe avenues for reporting internal government misconduct, because that's what whistleblower is supposed to be, right? Reporting inappropriate conduct by the government or your national security agency. The failure to provide safe avenues for this, the failure to provide confidence that you'll be protected if you're a whistleblower, is what drives anonymous leaks to the press. Edward Snowden, rightly or wrongly, believed that his decision to provide classified information to reporters at The Intercept, as well as other outlets, was informed by seeing how badly 
previous National Security Agency whistleblowers, like Thomas Drake, who was another uh, previous example, had been treated when they tried to go through appropriate channels. So in other words, Snowden's argument was, I've watched other people who tried to go through appropriate channels get just slammed or have their careers ruined. So that's why I went ahead and I leaked to the press rather than going through the official reports. Now, you can say what you will about Manning. You can say what you will about Snowden, and we could debate that all day. But I think that a way to think about this is how can the government, the military, the intelligence agencies, you name it, provide safe enough avenues within the chain of command and outside the chain of command to report misconduct so that people don't feel like they have to go to the New York Times? Because they will. Right, they will. This has been proven. If if they don't feel that there's a way, then they will go to the New York Times. Henry, where am I off? You know, people. Always, I, I like hearing myself talk, and then I wonder. You know what? There's. Got, I gotta be missing something, right? Because it all seems so obvious to me. Um, I think it's about really understanding the environment that whistleblowers are already in, and the nature of how how demanding and dominating our national security apparatus is. Um, you know, when I, when I was, when I was a soldier and when I was an NCO, we had no time. There wasn't time for pretty much anything. You worked a lot of long hours. And so it, it, there's a lot of things that could seem less important that would seem less because you're dealing with lack of sleep because you're dealing with other human factors that you reasonably have to deal with. But, um, also think about, you know, some of the places that, that people get deployed. I was thinking about the, the situation in Niger, and if there were people there that would have any comments about it, you know, someone that wanted to challenge the, the administration's narrative on those, those situations, where would they go? They're in the middle of Niger and on these small bases. Is there, do they have access to CID, Army IG, anything like that? Or do they even have enough internet access that they could send somebody something? My, my whole point about this is, is that it's very easy for the job to seem more important than the thing that somebody else is doing wrong. And if people don't come forward, I really like that quote that you, you were using and you've used it in a couple of past episodes that if we, if we put this through the context that this is the only way we would receive the information, then absolutely the whistleblow needed to take place. Now that, doesn't talk about the way that they did it, but it does talk about the importance of the information. Sure. Really good point, especially about like Niger and being in these austere conditions. Um, it's it's asking a lot of soldiers to expect them to be able to find an IG who might be 2,000 miles away or to have the courage to go against their chain of command and go outside the system in order to blow the whistle on problematic things they're seeing. Um, on the ground, it's asking a lot. My my squadron commander, uh, who 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 was a sociopath in my opinion, uh, was under an IG investigation while I was in Afghanistan. Of course, I won't name his name. Uh, he was eventually mostly cleared. I think it negatively affected his career, but not so much that he didn't get a brigade command because he did. Uh, the IG came down and was uh, really interviewing all of us, especially us commanders. You know, there was only five of us asking us very specific details about this guy's decision-making and sort of like the quality of his uh, tactics and also his uh, command climate. And uh, many of us wanted to say negative things. Many of us did. The problem is, even though they say that your comments are anonymous, if they're really talking to the five subordinate commanders and you tell a certain vignette about something that happened in B Troop, right, which I commanded, 
using the chain of command and going through the IG, it's going to become clear when the report comes out who, who blew the whistle. And if the guy, the commander, is eventually exonerated, guess what he's in, in charge of? Your evaluation and what his boss hears about you from him. Because in the end, as you know, two levels up, that's who evaluates you. That's your senior rater. And what that person says in your comment section and the block they check on your report card, it determines if your career continues or ends. So these are serious issues. And I think a lot of people are unwilling to take that risk of a negative sort of reprisal on their career for the sake of whistleblowing. And like you mentioned, in a place like Niger, they may not even know where to go. They might be on an A-team that's 500 miles from the nearest allied base or the nearest American soldier, and it's, it's asking a lot of them. And if they believe the only way they're going to get the information out is to go to the press, they will. And then the American people have a tough decision to make, which is, was the information we received more important than the threat of the leak itself and the tactic used, which was going to the press? If I could just build on this for a second, I want to go back to Snowden. I read an article called A Case for Clemency for Snowden. It's a really interesting debate. Um, there was this guy, Josh Barrow of the Business Insider. He wrote a report back in 2014 saying that Snowden should not be allowed to return to the United States. And if he does, he should have a long prison sentence, right? He said, quote, uh, that he trusts the government to decide what needs to be secret more than he trusts, quote, some rogue contractors, meaning Snowden, with security clearances to decide what should be disclosed. And that's actually an interesting statement. And, you know, it gets down to the fundamental view of government. You know, some people believe, mostly on the right, but not necessarily, that the government should be trusted more than individuals to determine what's right, meaning individual employees. So they trust the government with secrecy more than they trust individual whistleblowers to, to kind of blow the cover of the secrecy. You know? But in the Snowden case, we have to look at this for a second and say, who decided that the NSA and a secret court is trusted to interpret the meaning of the Fourth Amendment, which is what was happening? Okay, Shielded from public scrutiny or any major congressional or judicial oversight. Uh, it turns out that you know the upshot, as the article said, of Mr. Snowden's whistleblowing is that the government had been wielding powers no one ever gave them. I mean, yeah, Snowden exer exercised you know, unauthorized and expressly, expressly prohibited discretion to expose this, but this author of this report that you and I both read, and I, I really want to quote it in full, said the following. Let's just suppose that the scheme of official oversight is spurious, and that it fails to satisfy the conditions of liberal democratic legitimacy on which the American system was founded. In other words, if this, you know, this listening in on Americans, if this surveillance state was spurious and was against our liberal democratic legitimacy, then, you know, how can we trust the government to exercise that sort of restraint without oversight? You know, Suppose that this scheme of, of surveillance led to the massive systematic violation of basic constitutional rights, which it did. So that would be a profound injustice of vast proportions. And the injustice is precisely that the people who aren't actually authorized to make these decisions are the ones who are deciding that you can't tell the secret. So in other words, how is evidence of such profound and profoundly dangerous injustice supposed to come to light? And this gets back to my point that I've made several times that you just brought up. Which is, if there's no system for a guy like Snowden to speak about what were really serious problems, really serious abuses of power by the government, then how will we find out about it? So, but the debate in this article goes even further. It says, you might ask that, like, who gave Snowden the right of all the people to risk 
America's strategic interests based on his private opinions about the moral legitimacy of the state power. And the guy who wrote this article said, arguably the government of the United States did when it required him to take an oath because the oath that we take and that many people in the intelligence community take is to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. What if the enemy is the government itself? What if the enemy is a, uh, a government going over its threshold of power and abusing it to surveil millions and even hundreds of millions of Americans? So it comes full circle, and I think the question, and it's worth debating, is whether someone like Manning and whether someone like Snowden had any other actual outlet to let us know about these massive abuses of power that we saw. You know, I, I, uh, I, I guess it depends on bo- – both those situations are pretty different. Um, in Manning's case, I would say no. I, I, I don't know so much about the, the specific choice to talk, communicate with and transmit that stuff to WikiLeaks. But as far as the information coming out, absolutely. And I could just see bringing it up that chain of command. I never worked in Intel, but we both know what the answer would be. Sorry, no, we're not, we're not going to share that. We're not going to talk about that. And then every step up the chain you take from there, everybody gets a little more angry with you, especially if you're trying to point out something that requires a little bit of nuance or context in terms of understanding it. Um, like the, I'm, I'm thinking of the, uh, of the Apache video with those two Reuters guys got shot. Um, you know, there, there's no context needed there. There's no explanation needed. There's no nothing. That helicopter killed those people and killed those two reporters. They can't get around it. But Bringing something like that forward, saying, hey, this is horrific and somebody needs to do something. This is not who we are as soldiers, as Americans, as American intel analysts, however, whatever position they would have. Um, it just keeps getting swept under the carpet. And at a certain point, the person then gets branded as somebody who's they, – they use a lot of terms for it, but we'll just say not loyal. They're not being loyal to the idea of – serving their country, especially because they want to talk about something that nobody else wants to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. It's a question of who are you loyal to, right? Are, are you supposed to be more loyal to the agency you work for, the National Security Agency, the United States Army, whatever, or are you more loyal to the Constitution? And, and can you as a private citizen make that decision? You know, um, I, I think that, that, is, um, that that's a tough question. I, I don't know if there are any simple answers about that. But we need to have the conversation. And it does seem like it's in the interest of the intelligence agencies and in the interest of the U.S. government agencies to provide a path for whistleblowers, one that protects them from retaliation and one that provides some sort of, you know, nonpartisan, unaffiliated group to take a look at the charges, you know, um, an uninterested uh, observer to fairly weigh whether or not this is something that needs action if this is something that's inappropriate um, with no you know no retaliation no matter how it comes through and I think that's that system would be difficult to devise but it's very very important um, and, and one proof of that is if you just look at military whistleblowers and sexual assault right um, as of 2014 so they were studying 10 years uh, prior to 2014. DOD surveys showed that 32% of service members who reported sexual assault felt uh, that they experienced professional retaliation. Um, 5,728 service members 
experienced professional retaliation, and only five cases were investigated. So what this tells us is, you know, in something that's as important, something that's as emotionally just kind of hot right now as sexual assault, there's still an enormous amount of retaliation from the chain of command when you when you report, when you're a whistleblower. And the government is taking less time and energy to prevent the retaliation than it is sort of brushing these things to the sides in the in, in the in the interest of inertia, in the interest of the the easy right, the easy wrong over the, the hard right. You know, another report, 113-page Human Rights Watch report, said that uh, personnel who report sexual assault are 12 times as likely to experience some form of retaliation as their attacker. Think about that for a second. The alleged attacker is 12 times less likely to face any retaliation or punishment than the whistleblower themselves. We've talked about this in our episode about sexual assault more specifically, which is let's say – and we'll just use a sexual assault whistleblowing, right? Let's say I was drinking underage, even smoked a little pot in a barracks party, and I was breaking all kinds of rules. Like I wasn't even on pass like I was supposed to be, but somewhere in that messy night where I made at least three mistakes, I get raped. Am I going to be more afraid of the retaliation for the relatively minor regulations I broke? So afraid of retaliation for that, that I choose not to report the very popular sergeant who raped me? If you think that that scenario hasn't occurred dozens, maybe hundreds of times, oh, you don't know anything about the military, right? And you can apply some of that same logic to the cases like the NSA and Edward Snowden and the United States Army Intelligence Community with Chelsea Manning. And they're not exactly alike. There's a difference between sexual assault and undue surveillance by the federal government. But both are violations of the basic trust of the American people. We trust that our service members should be able to serve honorably without having to worry about sexual assault. We trust that our citizens should be able to go about their daily business without the government listening in on their calls, unless there's a warrant. And we, in the case of Manning, we count on the U.S. government we trust the U.S. government to tell us the truth about what's going on in Iraq. But what she revealed is that we weren't telling the truth. Her documents revealed a lot of things. They revealed that there had been a major civil war in Iraq that was much worse than had been reported. People like Rumsfeld were saying, don't use the term civil war. Her documents demonstrated that the U.S. military knew for months, years even, that there was a civil war going on. Same thing with the civilian casualties and the killing of those journalists that you mentioned earlier. Chelsea Manning was retaliated against, and maybe there should have been some retaliation for the leak. Maybe an outside, nonpartisan observer would determine that, but a 35-year prison sentence, which was what was handed out in 2013, seems rather excessive. If I'm the next Chelsea Manning who sees that we're not reporting things accurately or that we're abusing our power in the intelligence agency for which I work, I'm going to look at the Manning case. Which is meted out under Obama, right? The liberal, the dove, right? Obama, the socialist. That sentence, that 35-year sentence was meted out under President Obama. Now, let me ask you this, Henry. If you're the next intelligence analyst who over, who, who, who finds out that the government is overstepping its bounds or, or misreporting something or exceeding its authority, are you going to trust that a President Trump administration is going to protect you? Or are you going to look 
Or are you going to look at the fact of what happened to Manning? Hell no, I'm not going to trust him. I'm not going to say a word. It, 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 it. No, there's, there's, there's no way. There's no way that, that it, anybody, you can't believe that there's protections there. And, and learning about other agencies, like you mentioned earlier with the FBI, that going to first line supervisors, they have no legal protection. So let, let's say you find something in, in that circumstance where you haven't even really decided it's a problem yet, but you're talking about it, and other people do, that you could even potentially be retaliated against something that you haven't recognized yet. Somebody get, got hurt, somebody, I mean, it really depends on the, on the context of the item, but, you know, we, we, we work in the military, we work with compartmentalization, and you only get certain information at certain times if you're the right rank, if you have the right clearance and stuff like that. That brings up another thought, is about vetting these people. Edward Snowden, according to a different whistleblower, should not have been vetted for his job because he didn't pass the proper leaks. However, because those, that information was suppressed in 2009, um, hold on one second, Danny, I'm getting a lot of wind. Sure, go ahead. Are you outside? No, no, uh, it's on it's on your end. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm I'm not outside, but oh. is your uh, vents in your car blowing or anything? I just I just shot him, so oh. maybe that was it. Okay. Um but no, it uh it talked about uh Michael McMahon that uh in 2009 he went up the chain trying to identify these problems with with vetting within the intelligence community and that if that had happened the year that he actually brought it forward Edward Snowden never would have gotten the job. So, you know, you, you not only have the issue of, can I put this information out to the public? It's about who's actually making it through the gate to even start asking those kind of questions. Who, who are going to, you know, um, and how I, I, I think of a quote from, uh, I can't think of the name of the movie right now. It was with Clint Eastwood. It's the one where he got a heart replacement. Um, but he used to say, he said, if you can't protect the integrity of the system, then there is no system. And you can take that two different ways, because protecting the integrity of the system could be being as harsh to whistleblowers as humanly possible. Somebody else could take that protecting the integrity of the system as I'm going to whistleblow because this is not what people actually know. And so it really depends on who's getting, getting taught the values and whether or not they're actually being vetted to be fair and impartial to actually look at these situations with a hint of a hint of intellect. And, and I, and I don't see that. Absolutely. That's a great point. I mean, we talked about that with Bo Bergdahl and he's not a whistleblower exactly, but he kind of fancied himself one through his actions, but you know, he shouldn't have been in the military, right? No, nope. nope. we look, we look back at his record. We find out, you know, he had no business being an infantryman in Afghanistan. You know, he had been major mental breakdown and coast guard, basic training, etc. cetera. Uh, you mentioned Snowden and you start to say, how can we trust a government that's not even properly vetting its employees for major intelligence agencies and major military operations? How can we trust that government with this expansive power that we've given them in the aftermath of the Patriot Act of 2001? It's scary. I think everyone has to make a decision, and this is just my theory. There are two kinds of people in this world. Well, there's three kinds because the third kind is people don't give a shit and don't even think about it, which is probably the majority. But there are two kinds of people when it comes to leaking. One type of person tends to believe that secrecy and trust in government is more important than protecting whistleblowers. 
that in the aggregate, we're better off trusting our government than trusting the individual sort of charisma and individual integrity of people on the inside. Then there's another group that thinks that public knowledge, that transparency, and I'm in this category, admittedly, is more important than secrecy. Now, the truth is that an extreme application of the first one that I described, over secrecy, too much trust in government, or an extreme application of my opinion, which is more transparency, less trust in government, an extreme application of either of those two things is probably not appropriate. And so then the answer has to be somewhere in the middle. And I think that's oversight. And I think that's impartial observers having a system of oversight to make sure that, number one, the whistleblower is not retaliated against, and number two, his or her sort of actions slash reports you know, have to be looked at carefully to see if they really do constitute a breach of the public trust. And there has to be a system. And even, and even if the government's system, the government's impartial observers determine that, you know what, the accusations aren't really that big a deal, the person who attempted the whistleblowing should still not be retaliated against. No. Because uh, that, and that's the thing. It has to, and, and that's a difficult system. It's going to cost a lot of money. It's going to cost a lot of personnel headaches to make it happen. But until we do, Edward Snowden's going to go to the intercept every time. And maybe he needs to, because maybe that's the only way Americans are going to find out. That's why I think some sort of middle ground between the two extremes that I described uh, has to be found. And I admit that I'm on one of those extremes, but even I know, and I'm self-aware enough to know, that an extreme application of even my own opinion is probably not appropriate. Absolutely. No, I, I like that spectrum you created. It kind of, you know, it... it it becomes too easy to stereotype people, especially when you're talking about big organizations. And even within these massive organizations, even within the army, people have to, to ride wide range of views and how to apply those views needs, needs to be understood. Um, sorry, I had, I had one other thought I was trying to think of. Um, no, I do. I think, I think we need a, as you said, some kind of independent civilian oversight that doesn't it, it would it would have to be careful about who they answer to because otherwise we just get into this self-sustaining loop that we're in right now with intel community doing what it wants to and we find out very very little right yeah i think the pendulum has definitely swung in that direction since 9 11 and the pendulum does sing does seem to swing in the direction of security over transparency whenever people are afraid that's what scares me though Americans have been afraid and terrified to death since 9-11. You can't stay afraid for 17 years because if you stay afraid for 17 years, you're going to give so much authority. You're going to trust so much in government national security agencies that at some point you're going to lose your republic, guys. That's why we can't have alarmist threats. That's why my articles are all about, hey, look, we actually spend 14 times more than Russia on the military. I don't say that just because I like the math. I say it because I don't want us to have an alarmist view of foreign policy, because if the government or agents within the government are able to tell us, oh, my God, there's so many threats out there. You're in so much danger. We're going to sign over some of our civil liberties, aren't we? We've done it time and again, and it worries me. The last thing that I want to say about whistleblowing, and then we can just you know, bounce off some more ideas that you have, Henry, or, or sort of move on, is the way this is affecting the press. You know. Nobody is less popular, except maybe Congress, than the media. 
I mean, can you even find someone? If you went out on the street and started just saying, hey, do you trust the media? How long would you have to spend on a New York City street, a crowded New York City street, before you could find someone who said, yeah, I think the media is good. The media is important. You, I mean, you would be hard-pressed. Everybody hates the media. Everybody. Right? Left? Libertarian? Everyone hates the media. But the media is almost like a separate branch of the government. Not in the sense that it is actually part of government, but it, doesn't know, it provides oversight. It's, it's, it's a natural check. So the press sucks. You know? Media, especially in the internet age, has a lot of weaknesses. But it's vital. Under Barack Obama, the liberal, remember, quote, unquote, liberal, he pursued what's been called the most aggressive war on leaks since the Nixon administration. This has included, including using the Espionage Act to actually prosecute journalists who won't give up their sources. The author of a study from 2013 was a former Washington Post executive uh, editor named Leonard Downey. Downey was involved in the Watergate investigation. So this is a very, very prestigious journalist. He said in this study, a report that was published in October 2013, that, that Obama was pursuing a war on leaks. So what's the effect of this? Um, you know, the Justice Department is like secretly subpoenaing and seizing records from telephone lines of the Associated Press in order to find out who's leaking. Right. In other words, finding out who the uh, the informants are, the confidential informants that work for the press. But guys, how are we going to have a press that's combative and that has tough oversight unless we have confidential informants? The press can't do their job unless people trust them enough that they're going to remain anonymous to, to speak up. Otherwise, everyone would lose their job and no one would ever talk to the press. And then what then what's the press besides state TV? It'd be like the Soviet system. Jeffrey Smith is a national security reporter for the Center for Public Integrity, and he said, quote, this is during the Obama administration, the liberal administration. He said, quote, I now worry about calling somebody because the contact can be found through a check of government phone records or emails. I leave a digital trail that makes it easier for the government to monitor those contacts. In other words, this is a war on the media, a war on the press, and we've got to be careful. Because, yes, leaks are problematic, potentially. Yes, certain informants could do damage to the United States based on what they say. And so there has to be some sort of moderate system. But if we're going to start tapping the phones of all these journalists in secret ways, then we are waging a war on the press. And let me ask you, if President Obama's administration was willing to do this, what do you think about a President Trump administration? Or whatever comes next, which could be even worse. Who knows? I don't trust the government to tap the lines of all the independent media organizations out there. Because if you do that, then you eliminate the ability of anyone to blow a whistle. You eliminate the ability of anyone to be a confidential informant. And you make the press into nothing more than state radio and state TV. There was an article from Forbes this last week that talked about that Homeland Security is getting ready to start making a database of journalists. Um, they weren't real specific on exactly what the purpose of it was, but they talked about organizing them by political leanings and, you know, main influencers and a lot of other specific stuff that you might want for a biography of a journalist or if you're planning to do surveillance on journalists. That I, I can't see any other reason why the Trump administration would need a list of any journalists whatsoever aside from contact numbers that they would hold on to some kind of this type of information in that way. 
Yeah, that's a that's a that's a really interesting report because it's so present. A lot of the stuff we've been looking at is like reports from uh, 2014, you know, 2013. But this is this is re- this is recent. What you're talking about, and and it's a ma- it's a major issue, and it's a tough issue because there's no simple answers here, are there? No. I mean, there has to be limitations on the press, just like there has to be limitations on the government. You know, the question is, what do we value? And that's where I come back to my spectrum. You know, do we want to go too far in the direction of my dad? who trusts the government every time and doesn't trust leakers and wants them harshly punished and thinks that, you know, people like Edward Snowden should be put in front of a firing squad. Do we really want my dad's opinions running it? Or quite frankly, do you really want my extreme opinions, which is never trust the government, always, you know, lean in the direction of transparency? Do you really want me making policy? Well, probably not. Probably neither me nor my dad is the right answer. Probably some sort of oversight system that's in the middle that has objective observers is the best path that we can have. And that, that, that's, that's whether we're talking about the press or, or whistleblowers or the FBI, you name it. Um, that's the kind of informed debate we need. But too often, this sort of discussion tends towards hysteria on both sides. You know, if you listen to the left on this issue, it sounds like everybody on the right is Hitler. And if you listen to the right on this issue, it sounds like everybody on the left is an anarchist, you know, so too often we're, we're so emotionally invested that we stop having a, uh, you know, a useful debate, you know. No, it's about, it becomes more about team mentality than integrity of any kind. And then, then people just, they stay on their team and it, it doesn't, it, it doesn't get looked at with, with any kind of context. Yeah, well, we're tribal. You're absolutely right. We, we, we retreat to our battle stations and we're tribal. Yep. But this issue of whistleblowers is just, it's just far too important. It's, it, it's vital, I think, that we, um, that we continue this debate, that this not be the last time we talk about it on the pod, that, that, that we hopefully spur debate among our listeners, go to work, have a conversation with people at the water cooler, if that still happens, and kind of work through these issues. Because you may come up with you know, methods of oversight and protection that are more substantial than what we've come up with. But I think we have to start this conversation instead of just yelling at each other all the time. Because if we don't find a medium, then either the press is going to go away or oversight is going to go away or secrecy completely will go away. We can't have either of those cases. Neither of those extremes is good for the republic. No, not at all. Not at all. Even if I lean in one direction, but at least I know it. <laughs> and I'm willing to admit that probably I'm not the guy that needs to be making policy. But we need to consider my views and we got to consider my dad's too. Uh, and I have to admit that as well. And I think that there's a lot of families out there and there's a lot of people out there who probably feel the same way as what I'm describing. Thank you for joining us today. Please come join the conversation at www.fortressonahill.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Fortress on a Hill or on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash fortress on a hill we want to hear from our listeners about the topics and issues pertinent to america's military and veteran communities and last but certainly not least analyze your news and its sources very closely verify everything you read and remember that no one no matter how powerful are above criticism especially those with the power to send others into harm's way we'll see you next time